We're going to look first at Genesis 1, then Isaiah 12, and finally at Psalm 57. So beginning with Genesis 1, hear the Word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, Now from Isaiah. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And now finally from Psalm 57, uh, starting at verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the earth. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to You among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You know, back in 2006, when I had just been here three years in El Paso, and we uh, decided that we wanted to do some theological conferences, uh, bring in some professors from uh, different seminaries, and try to do a, a theologically based conference each year. And so the first person that came to mind was one of my favorite professors from RTS, Richard Pratt. And you have heard me talk of Richard uh, very much uh, here over these many years. And so Richard agreed to come, and we had this really wonderful uh, theological conference. It wasn't very well attended, which was disappointed, but uh, he did a wonderful job, and I hope that in the future we can have Richard back again. But I picked him up at the airport, he, and my son Justin, my older son, flew out here from Orlando with him. So the three of us were in the car, we're going to take him to lunch. And uh, he said, so tell me, uh, what's up with uh, Christ the King? I said, well, what, what do you mean, what's up with Christ the King. He said, well, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Why does El Paso need you? 
What's your purpose here? Why do you even exist? He's getting really out there, right? And if you left tomorrow, he's talking about our church, not me personally, but he was also talking about me personally. If you left tomorrow, would anyone even know you're gone? And I wanted to turn around and go back to the airport and take him back to the plane. You know, what is up with you? Asking those hard questions. And you know, but what he's trying to do, and this was his way, of course, even in school, was to provoke and to press you back into, uh, so that we don't just live, you know, Christians are famously superficial. We love being superficial. And I've tried very hard to tell you, give all that up and be real for once in your life, especially in church. Because superficiality just isn't getting it for us, folks. And so he would press us back into ourselves and try to get us to answer some hard questions. And so I've had to ask that question many times. Why are we even here? What's our church doing? Are we making an impact? We're getting ready to move. We've spent an enormous amount of money and we're going to move hopefully in July. And so I want to take a few weeks and uh, the elders and Luke and and others are going to help. We're going to talk about... What is our purpose? Why are we going to 1500 Wrestler? Why bother? Just to have a nicer place? Yes, that's part of it. But that's not all. It's got to be more than that. What is our purpose? Well, if you look at our website, we have a purpose statement there. And I've talked to you about this before, but let me read it to you. Maybe some of you haven't ever even looked at it. and I know we probably shouldn't talk about this more, but let me read it to you. Our heart's passion, this is the purpose statement of Christ the King, the church you all attend or perhaps belong to formally. Our, our heart's passion and greatest joy is to make visible the invisible kingdom of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and enjoy Him now and in the ages to come. That's why we exist. We live and breathe to make known the kingdom of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we've told you over the years, what we tell our men in journey groups and the ladies in our journey groups, is that where you live, work, and play, everywhere you live, work, and play, you are to be living out the gospel in your life. And not in the cliched Christian way that is so, I think, think repulsive to most people. But the winsome and honest way that Jesus was, that attracted, actually attracted people. And this is what we need to be thinking about as we prepare to move. Because frankly, folks, if we go out there and we do not embrace this and it becomes part of our DNA, our very bones, what we're living for, we will just have a big pile of debt and be nothing. I think Christ the King has made an impact in our community and I think we are doing a service and I think some people would know if we're not here. Some of them would be very happy if we weren't here. But uh, because Calvinism, Reformed theology, that whole thing is just odious to some people uh, because it touches us at the very heart of our human arrogance. And so when you start talking about and preaching the sovereignty of God and the holiness of God and the grandeur, the amazing grace of God, it is going to stir up all kinds of problems. And you find a church that's packed full of people, standing room only, and if you listen carefully, often, often they're preaching a different gospel. Right? It's not that. They want to hear how everything's going your way and God's on your side no matter what. 
And you can fill buildings that way. But you know what? When they're gone, it's like a flash in the pan. A wisp of dust is gone. But this Gospel that we preach, folks, has endured forever. From Genesis 1 through Isaiah through Psalm 57 and on into the world. And so let's talk about what is our purpose. So I'm going to give you just a basic outline. We're going to look at these passages very quickly. At the very center of our purpose statement and the very center of these Scriptures I gave you is this idea that God Himself is the central focus of everything we read in our Bible. He is the central focus. And that He does have a plan. And He does have a purpose. And in that plan and purpose, folks, in His sovereign will, He has chosen to make you and me part of that. We are the only thing we know of in all creation that shares His glory. He says Himself in Isaiah, in another part of Isaiah, I share my glory with no one except, I'm adding this, except my people. They share my glory. And so, to see Jesus Christ at the very center of your life, at the center of your work, where you live, work, and play, at the very center of your being, if you see Him there, and you live out of that, something different will happen in your life and the people around you. He is the center. The well of salvation. We'll look at it more in a moment. On either side of us, you see, on either side of God, you see us. Our passions, our joys, our exaltations, our hurts, our pains. He welcomes all of that. He never holds you back and says, oh no, I don't want to hear about that. He welcomes you to come to Him with all of your joy, all of your exaltation, and all of your hurts and pains. He's not afraid for you to ask Him why. In fact, if you don't ask Him why, how will you ever find out anything? Mine is not to reason why. Mine is but to what? Do or die. And somehow Christianity has taken that on sees that as a virtue. And yet you don't see that in the Scripture. You see people pleading with God. Why? How long? What are you doing? Do you have a calendar? Do you know what day it is? Please, help me. You see honesty and reality in the Scriptures that you simply don't see in many churches. And I'm determined, folks, with my dying breath that Christ the King is going to hear that message. I don't care uh, whether we have uh, a standing room only. It'd be nice. But if it's going to take compromising the Gospel to do that, I pray God strikes me dead. I'd rather be dead. Frankly. He's worth so much more than that. His beauty is so much greater than that. So on either side of God Himself is us, you and I. And we've all been called. I'm not the professional paid holy person in your church. You're all not paid and perhaps not professional. But you are His holy people. His royal priesthood. He's called you to come into His midst and to do His work. Do you see it? And finally, we'll, look, we'll step back and look at the whole, the whole thing. How, what does it mean to enjoy Him now and forever and in the, to the ages to come? What does it mean to enjoy God? I don't know exactly. Sometimes I enjoy Him and sometimes I can't stand Him. 
Now, I know some of you don't like hearing that. We want our pastor to be, you know, the perfect person. And, uh, well, I am. I'm much more perfect than you are. So, uh, no, come on, folks. I mean, sometimes I don't understand God any more than you or any more than the man on the street. I don't understand what he's doing. But I'll tell you what, I have learned that running away from him will get you nowhere but further away from him. Running to him sometimes is frustrating because he, you know, sometimes he just holds you and lets you complain. Doesn't say anything. Would you please say something? No, I'm going to be quiet. You go ahead and do all the talking. (laughs) But that's reality. So can we step back for a moment? Look at the whole, the whole picture. So at the center, Jesus Christ, our King. Richard used to tell us this about the image of God. You know, everybody has an idea. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, that means we're rational or that we can think or we're creative or, you know, all of these different things. You can read systematic theology and they have, everybody has their ideas. But in the ancient Near East, in that world, the way Moses would have understood it is like this. Monarchs, this is Richard Pratt, monarchs increased their glory by filling the land with images of themselves. And if you look in Egypt and you look into uh, the Hittite and Canaanite and Chaldean world, into the Assyrian world, you see that all you see are images of the great kings. They made images of themselves and they filled the land with these images. And whenever they were overthrown by another king or kingdom, what did they do? They came and tore down all those images and erected new images. Because that's how the kings expanded their glory. Everywhere they went, they put up images of themselves. And God told Adam and Eve, go into the world and make me images. Be fruitful. Multiply, whether by natural childbirth or by just painting a picture or digging a garden or writing a poem or a song or making a musical instrument. Did you hear our band this morning? Where does that come from? That kind of beauty, that kind of glory, where does it come from? I had to get in my car the other day. I spent some time at Rudy's uh, barbecue place trying to work, and I was listening to country western music. It was killing me. Adultery and stealing and cheating and, you know, I mean, it was just driving me nuts. I I got in my car. I was so confused. I was so discombobulated. I had to put on... Uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons and listen for 15 minutes before I could find my way home. Now I know some of you love country western music and may God, you know, grant you some mercy. But, uh, oh, I'm kidding. I like Waylon Jennings. I love Johnny Cash. And uh, anyway, alright. What a crazy thing. You know, something's crazy when your pastor loses his train of thought and talks about that. Alright. Look at, look at the center in Isaiah chapter 12, in verse 1 and 2. Look at how this is set up, this beautiful passage in Isaiah. Just these six verses. He says in verse 1, you will say in that day, and then he says it again in verse 4, you will say in that day, and then it goes on and says something. You will say in that day, and then it says something. You will say in that day, and it says something. And then in the middle of the verse, in, 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 in verse 3, is what they call the center, or the chi- this is a, set up in what in Hebrew literature called a chiasm. Some of you have heard it, of it before. It's an inclusio, that's another technical term where there's a part in the beginning, a part at the end, and in the middle there's a central theme, a central idea. You will say in that day, he says in 1 and 2, 
I will give thanks. For though you were angry with Me, your anger turned away and was replaced with comfort. God is My salvation, He cries out. I will trust you and not be afraid. What was He afraid of? God's judgment. God's judgment. But instead of judging Me, you became My strength, My song, My salvation. Then in verse 3, He said, you are the well of salvation. Now you know folks, this is written in a desert world. A world that we're all familiar with out here. And you know how precious water is. And to be parched and thirsty, to find a well, to find a spring in the desert, meant life. To see the palm trees and the little oasis in the desert meant you would live and not die. A well of water is freighted with meaning in a desert world. It also means the Spirit. It means that the Spirit that breathed life into Adam and Eve would breathe life into you. When you take a drink of water, when you're desperately thirsty, your, your breath comes back to you. You're able to revive. And so at the very center, he's saying salvation, salvation. You are my salvation. Then he picks it up again in verse 4. Look, you will say in that day, and he says, let all of, actually it's uh, let all of us say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. He has done gloriously. Make it known. He's our shout saying, Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. What he's saying is, it's not just about the water. It's not just about the well. It's about God's presence. And every single week, folks, every week, I pray, and I hope that you will pray this as well, every week before you come into this church or 1500 Wrestler, wherever we are, that your prayer upon entering the doors of the church is, fill this temple with your presence. Not the physical building temple, but the people that are here. Do you know if we went out in the parking lot, the temple of God would, would go where? Where would it go? Into the parking lot! It doesn't stay here. Solomon said, the buildings can't hold you. The heavens and the sky and the, the cosmos cannot contain you. And he had just finished building an amazing temple. And he said, it can't contain you. Where is his presence? Why is it so precious to us as believing Christians that God is in our midst? Because without him, all you have is religion, dead religion. It can be beautiful. I've worshipped in some amazing churches, beautiful churches, and they're deader than a doornail until the people of God come in and fill it with the true temple. His people, living stones, that are crying out, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, the whole earth is full of Your glory. Do you see that? He is at the center of everything. His presence meant life and salvation. And His presence meant identity and purpose. Identity and purpose. You know, when Moses was, uh, uh, taken, had taken the, the people of Israel to Mount Sinai, he was talking to the Lord. And I love reading these dialogues because this is how we should engage with God. And he says this, 
If I have found favor, he's talking to God. I don't know where they were. They're up on the mountain somewhere. But anyway, he tells God, if I have found favor. See, he doesn't presume anything, does he? That's true humility. And yet, he's amazingly bold. Listen to him. If I have found favor, please show me your ways that I may know you. And consider this nation your people. And God said to him, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Didn't satisfy Moses. He says this. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Now listen. Here's the bold part. How shall it be known that I, speaking of Moses, I have found favor, I and your people, Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? I and your people from every nation on the face of the earth. You see, Moses knew that God meant life and identity and purpose. And folks, if you don't find your identity and your purpose and your life in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, if you don't have that purpose, everything else is going to feel empty and, and, and vacuous. It's not going to have any substance. And that's why so many of us live frustrated lives. Because money can't satisfy us. Uh, possessions can't. So you can have the most perfect family of the, in the world and something will go awry. You can have the greatest job in the world and you can lose it. You can have the best marriage. It can go south. We could go on and on. Things fail us. But the one thing that has never failed, and I hope this is true, and even if you've had tragedy and loss in your life, think about where that tragedy and life loss ends up. It ends up in eternity. It's never lost. So while now we may weep, He's going to turn our weeping into dancing. Our sorrows into joy and singing. And we'll look at that in in just a moment. Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. His presence is great, is cause for great thanks. That is what we were built for, folks. Worshiping Him, serving Him, and proclaiming His name to the world around us. Um, so let's look at the either side. What is our passion and our joy? There's, there's actually, t- in Psalm 57, I don't want to go through the whole thing again, but... In Psalm 57, he talks about two spheres, if you can imagine, two spheres of proclamation. Okay? In verse 5 and 11, look at 5 and 11, you'll see he talks about the exaltation of God's name in the heavens and His glory over all the earth. He's using poetic language to say that this sphere of proclamation is to all of creation to the cosmos, to the heavens and the earth. Everything that would have been known to a person in the ancient Near East, all they knew was what's up there and what's down here. Very simple understanding of the cosmos. Up there, down here, heavens up there, earth down here. Everything that we know is exalting and praising God. Then he goes internal. And this is where I think sometimes we we start to lose a little bit of track. He says, look at this, My heart, I will sing. I will make known. Awake, my glory. 
When I first came to Christ the King, I had not been at this church two weeks before a sweet lady came up to me. Uh, I think it had been a little bit more than three weeks, maybe four. No more than four. And we had introduced some new songs. Uh, you know, uh, Paulette was good enough to tell me that she could play anything that had a musical note on it, so I went crazy and uh, brought her all kinds of songs. She played them, and right away, somebody came and complained. They said, you know, uh, I don't like the fact that you're changing our singing in this church, and you're using too many songs that have I, me, my, it's all about me. And I said, really? Yes, that's right. All our songs should be about God and only God. I said, really? I, that's good. Have you ever read the Psalms? Well, this lady was highly offended because she, she was a good Bible student. She said, of course I've read the Psalms. How many times is a first person personal pronoun used in the book of Psalms? And of course, then she glazed over. Do you all know how many times it's used? In the book of Psalms? I, my, me, 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 I, me. Do you have any idea how many times he's in direct relationship to God? Hundreds of times. He is all about himself. But he's not all about himself without you. Since I'm quoting Richard Pratt, I'll quote him again. God-centeredness without man-centeredness is not God-centeredness at all. If you do not see that God has taken you, if all you see about yourself is wicked, wormy, sinner, no good for nothing, if that's your identity, then I plead with you this morning in Jesus' name, get born again so that you can have a new nature. Okay? Because if that's all that's going on in your life is I'm a wicked, no good sinner, then you need to get what we call saved and born again. Because when you get saved and get born again, what happens to you? Well, come on, theology students. What happens to you? You are put to death. You are nailed to the cross. Your identity is nailed to the cross and you're put to death. And a new man is born again, and you are now a new creature in what? In Him. The old man has passed away. He's dead. He's not forgotten. That's a whole other sermon. But he's dead. And he's powerless over you. The new power that is in every one of you that have claimed the name of Christ for yourself is the Holy Spirit. And if you don't resort to that every day of your life, folks, you're going to live in frustration. Christianity is going to become exhausting. I've done it. I know. It is exhausting. I would rather be any other religion than a Christian if that's how we are going to live our Christian life. No. He wants us to know that, our, that He is the center of everything, but He has reached His arms out wide and pulled us in. That we are there to proclaim His name and to enjoy Him forever. Our glory is tied to His. So, so let's step back and finish. Look, take a look at the whole. Ligon Duncan, who's the current chancellor of RTS, the school I went to, uh, Ligon is, has, says some amazing things. And one of the things that he said some years ago that just knocked me uh, off of my seat was this. That one of the saddest things of church history is that when Jesus said, my kingdom 
is not of this world, nobody believed him. And the church has gone to excessive lengths and is today going to excessive lengths to make God's kingdom the kingdom of this world. We do it in politics. Everybody's wringing their hands. A zombie apocalypse is coming because Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are going to be your candidates. There's your choices. And so the end of the world is coming, folks. Because God is up there wringing His hands. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I gave them a Mormon candidate four years ago and they, they rejected Him. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Do you see how ridiculous... I'm not saying you shouldn't vote and shouldn't stand up for your candidate. Go do it. Have a great time. But my goodness, where are you Christians? Where are we? When we are so afraid of our own shadow. God may have to bless us with intense persecution in order to wake us up. Have you seen what's going on in Aleppo, Syria? I mean, come on, folks. We cannot let our lives be driven by politics or driven by career or driven by fear of a transgender bathroom. Do you know that we have a transgender bathroom in our new church? Isn't that right, Rick? Rick and I are standing that there's a bathroom that in the new church that has a sign on it. It has one toilet. And it has a sign with a man and a woman. And I told Rick... Friday, I said, thank God, we're compliant. <laughs> we don't have to buy the sign. It's already here. A transgender bathroom. God provides. <laughs> yeah, God provides. I'm not saying it's okay. It's a hor- What kind of crazy country are we living in? Transgender bathrooms. God help us. But don't wring your hands over it. Go vote or complain or do whatever. Pray. Uh, Don't let your kids go in the transgender bathroom. I already called my son. I said, if you let my granddaughter in the transgender bathroom, I'm taking you out of my will. (laughs) Of course you don't condone those things. But folks, to wring our hands and be frantic and it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world. Stop it! In the famous words of Bob Newhart, remember the comedian Bob Newhart? Stop it! Cut it out, folks. Have some faith. Take a look back. Take a step back and take a hard look at the world we live in. And then take another step a little further back into eternity. Because these few years of chaos in our country, whatever happened, do you know that it's nothing compared to what God has promised every one of you in this world? He's promised you eternity. He's put eternity in your heart. You're not just living for now. Ligon was right. When Jesus said, my kingdom's not of the world, nobody believed Him. Why don't we believe Him? We have an eternal world. that we're, We have an eternal kingdom that we're living for. Yes, things are going to go up and down and sideways in this life. But what do you have in your eye? What, one eye, you look at this world. Yes, it's chaotic and it's scary and it's frightful and we've got to do something about it. But with the other eye, folks, you look... You know, somehow with one eye here like a gecko, I guess, one eye down here, one eye up there. And you fix your attention on eternity and you lay hold, it becomes the anchor of your soul because He's there. He's the anchor of our soul. 
Dr. Walkie, another professor from RTS, used to tell us all the time, without an eternal perspective, the Bible overpromises and underperforms. And it does. All you have to do is read the Psalms and Proverbs, and there's a lot of promises made that you and I will never realize in this life. But we will in the next. You see, history just doesn't end when you die. It keeps going. He's promised to take you into that eternal kingdom with Him and that you will endure forever. He will never forget you. That's why in the ancient church they sang a hymn, Eternal Memory, at a person's funeral. Eternal memory. May your memory be eternal. What they're saying is the ancient church understood as long as God remembers you, you never die. You never die. And your life has purpose, it has meaning, and you have something to live for. You know, a lot of things in this life make sense, don't make any sense. Luke said last year, you know, sometimes you want to go to God and say, are you kidding me? Really? What is going on? Are you kidding me? And our lives become messy and all scrambled up and you think, what am I going to do? How am I going to find purpose? How am I going to find meaning from this mess right here? And rather than retreating and shrinking back into our self-pity and worrying about all of these things that are sometimes not worth worrying about, take your mess, take your, your little piece of paper that you've scribbled all over and it looks like a mess, and who would ever like this? Nobody would ever like this. It's an ugly mess of scribble, like something your kids would bring you. An ugly mess of scribble. Take it to your Heavenly Father and hand it to Him. And He's going to take that mess from you, that scribble, and He's going to march over, and where's He going to put it, folks? On His refrigerator. And He's going to say to all the world, history, past, present, and future, I dare you, to say anything about my child whose scribble is up here on my refrigerator. Why? Because the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth is His handiwork and the one who spread it out, the one who said, light be, is standing there with His arms stretched out to nail prints in His hands. He's the Creator. He's the Artist. He's the God who made it all. And He's saying, come, bring your mess to Me. I'll give it purpose. Even your sin, I'll give it purpose. Because look here, what I did for your sin. Even that, your brokenness, your heartache, bring it all to Me, and I'll give you purpose. Because on the cross, Jesus fulfilled the ultimate purpose of God for you and as you. And if you come to Him with your life, make Him the center. Give Him your, the praise and the glory for everything. And at the same time, share Him with others. Your life will take on new meaning. I'll tell you what, Christ the King on Wrestler Street can be a remarkable place long after most of us will be gone. My whole job, folks, is to lay a foundation for the future of our church. And I hope that many of you see that 
and for yourself that we are building for the future. We want to build Jesus Christ as the center and His praise and worship and proclamation around that and enjoy Him forever. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank You for Your help and Your encouragement. And while we see some crazy things happening in our world and we know that perhaps some dark days are coming ahead, we're asking, Father, that Your grace and Your mercy would invigorate Your church, that we will not fear come what may, that we will not let our lives become meaningless and purposeless just because things are not going the way we think they should, but that we will find our purpose and our meaning and our very life's breath in the One who gave His life's breath for us. Help us. Save us. Have mercy on us, O God, according to Your grace in Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you all uh, so much for being here today. And we want to invite all of you that are believing Christians to come